normally I kind of give, I've preached here a few times. Dan mentioned that I, I teach at Indiana. I teach in linguistics. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit about linguistics today. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, <laughs> or to loathe. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to kind of jump into, normally I kind of give an introduction, uh, some sort of story or something. But um, I'm going to jump into the passage. But I want to give a couple of disclaimers before I do that. Um, the first one is that... Uh, I'm going to say a lot of things today from my biased perspective. So I may be wrong about a few things. You don't even know what I'm going to talk about yet, but uh, I may be wrong. I, I, it's coming from my perspective. And, you know, if, if you are in some situation, you think, well, Marcus said this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me this other way. I, you know, go with the Spirit. You, know, you don't go with me. Like, I'm not the, not the authority here. Uh, the second disclaimer is I think it's fairly obvious stuff, but... Uh, so if, if it sounds like I'm talking down to you or something, I don't intend to. I just think, to me, it's, it seems like it's obvious, but it's, for some reason it hasn't been obvious to me. So um, that's what I'm going to talk about. Stephanie, go ahead and put up the slide there. Okay. So we're going to look at a passage in John 9, and I'll explain a little bit more about what we're looking at in a bit. This is a passage of a man who was born blind, and just to spoil the story, that Jesus heals his sight. And then, uh, so he he's re- heals his blindness, he receives sight. So um, I want to focus a lot on, on how this man born, he's never given a name, just the man born blind. Um, in my notes it says MBB every time, so I just <laughs> didn't want to type it. Um, so this man blind from birth, uh, I want to focus on how he responds to when people start asking him about what happened. So let me start reading. I'm going to skip over a few parts in here just for time's sake. Um, let me read this and uh, then we'll, we'll talk about it. So um, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And just a quick note, Stephanie, go back to that slide. Quick note there, that's a a lot that happens in half a verse, right? So he goes home and he can see. Like, that's a big deal. Just keep that in mind. Okay, next slide. Because the Bible sometimes does that, or, you know, just big things happen in short amounts of text. Okay, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So in this case, just quickly say here, Stephanie can go back. Okay, thanks. Uh, The... They ask him what happened, how were your eyes opened, and he responds with how his eyes were opened. So it's not, I told you some of this would be obvious, but he responded with what happened. He says, I was blind, you know, he put mud on my eyes, I can see. Okay, next slide. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So again, they ask him about this. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. So again, especially if you read this like 20 times, it gets repetitive. They keep asking him what happened, and he says, I was blind, and now I could see. So he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. Okay, we can go forward. Um... Okay, so then he actually goes and they talk to his parents. We're going to skip over that. Uh, So then a second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been born blind. Um, Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Um, And next... 
It's good when you laugh, laugh at, uh, it's nice. uh, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We, don't know, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Stephanie, can you go to the previous slide? So this is, you know, there's three times here that he gets asked what happened. And um, each time he says something to the effect of, this man called Jesus put mud on my eyes. I couldn't see before and now I can see. Here he says, they say we know he's a sinner because he's healing on the Sabbath, which was against the rules. Um, And he says whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He, just keeps, it's, he, he gets a little stronger at the end where he keeps, you know, do you want to become his disciples too? And then they say, well, you think he's a sinner. How can he be a sinner if he healed me? And he goes, he starts to kind of ramp it up a little bit, but still he's, give, he's starting from what happened. He's starting from this point of, let me just tell you, you asked what happened, I told you what happened. Can you go uh, forward, Stephanie? So I'm going to make a very obvious point. I told you this would be obvious. Next slide. Um, when asked what happened, the man born blind told what happened, which... You, you don't seem stunned, which is good. Uh, it does seem obvious to me, too. Uh, very apparent. Um, it, it's, what, what strikes me, though, as I think more about the passage, and I'm excited for a number of reasons about this passage and about this point, um, he seems, the man born blind, remember, a big thing just happened to him. He, he couldn't see, and now he can see. And he's asked what happened, and he doesn't say, you need to go worship this guy, Jesus. Like, you, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you all about him. He says, what happened? And then he gets later to a little bit more about that. He gets more into who Jesus is. And we're going to look later at the, la- the end of the passage where that comes up more. But when he was asked what happened, he did the thing of telling what happened first. That was the first part. Just report the facts. And I'll tell you, there, there's a few reasons why this actually excites me. So one is, now I'm going to get to the linguistics part. Um, and... Uh, there's actually a few people here who study linguistics, and so I know they're excited, but everyone else may not be. Um, in ling- linguistics, we have a distinction um, between, and, and I was describing actually to this morning with someone, between something called prescriptive and descriptive grammar, and some of you have probably heard this if you've taken a linguistics class. So the grammar, we, we talk about grammar in linguistics, and to many of you that makes you cringe, because what you probably think of is that you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition or something like this, uh, or not supposed to split an infinite. Do these rules sound familiar? They may not because you've blocked them out of your mind, or maybe you never learned them. I don't know. We deal with this in linguistics of this is the first impression people get scared. Um, so prescriptive and descriptive grammar, the, actually the best example I can think of uh, someone taught me years ago it comes not from language, but from um, just driving. So when you see a yellow light, what does a yellow light mean? Slow down or go faster. Right, so prescriptively, if you look at the rules of the road and what you're supposed to do, right, it's supposed to slow down. Now, descriptively, if you describe what people actually do, they speed up, right? So there's a, there's a discrepancy between the supposed to's, the rules, and then like what people actually do. And so we study this in linguistics. For example, if I say uh, me and Wes went running this morning, which Wes, me and Wes did go running this morning, um, this is supposed to be bad, right? What's wrong with me and Wes? Wes and I, right? Yeah. I mean, there are many problems with me and Wes, just in general, but with the, the string, the, the sequence, me and Wes. Um, right, it's supposed to be Wes and I. You're not supposed to start a sentence with 
a word that's in the object form. Also, it's supposed to be that your I comes second, right? So if, you, if it's the subject of a sentence, I could go into great detail about this. You're not supposed to start it with me or him or her. Those aren't supposed to go there. Except, and that's what teachers tell you, right? Because it's not the rule. It just shouldn't work that way. Except it does work that way. That's what linguists are fascinated by. I can vouch for the fact that that's a fascinating fact about the English language that you can say, me and Wes went running this morning. Like, I can't say me went running this morning. It just sounds, on, it sounds like I'm non-native. It doesn't sound bad in the same way, right? That just sounds completely wrong. But I can say me and Wes, that's okay. So the fact that we can do that is actually interesting. So it's kind of this, this, this is why I'm excited. When, when asked what happened, he didn't start going into what he's supposed to tell. The man born blind went into what he's describing what actually happened. So, okay, of course it was a big deal, and many of us don't have this sort of thing happen in our lives, but something happened to him, and he's just going to start by describing the facts of the situation. So I, I get excited about it because that's what we do in linguistics. Like, we describe the facts. We, it's both easier and harder, because it'd be easier if someone just told me what to do, um, but it's also a little bit harder that I have to kind of... Um, well, it's, it's easier because all I'm doing is just telling what I know, because that's the easier part. The harder part is that I would wish someone would just tell me what to do instead of having to figure out the facts on my own. Like that could be the more challenging aspect. Okay, so the other reason, I'm going to get into a more personal reason now. Uh, as much as I enjoy linguistics, it's not as personal, um, studying language. Uh, so I'll tell a story about, um, I, I had a student um, who emailed me one day and said, Marcus, you're kind of a religious guy. Um, I think he's emailed about something else, and he said, you know, you're kind of a religious guy, Could I, I want to ask you some questions. So I was like, this is interesting. This person has never expressed an interest in any sort of spiritual or religious matters. Um, and so uh, Ross was his name. Ross and I met, and we went to Jimmy John's, where many important conversations happen every day. And uh, we got talking, and he starts telling me, he's like, you know, he, he tells me, I think this was the time he told me he was, he'd just gotten engaged. He might have told me before that. I'm trying to remember the actual details there. He told me he got engaged to this girl, Melissa, who I also knew, and it was fantastic. Um, and so he starts saying, um, you know, well, we're talking about the wedding and kind of some members of the family want to have a religious wedding, but, you know, personally, I, I don't really care. You know, it's not that I'm atheist or agnostic. I just don't care about God. Um, I hope I'm a- accurately capturing what he said. Uh, I just don't seem to care about it. And uh, so we're trying to figure out what to do about this and whatever. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, this is, you know, what he, we're going to talk about the, the wedding planning and, what, and so forth. And, um, and then he asked me, and this, this isn't the main point uh, of what I'm getting to. He said, well, so we decided we want you to perform the wedding ceremony if you'd be up for it, because you could give a wedding, you know, you could do something that's religiously themed but doesn't insult us and this type of thing. So we started talking, which is cool, and next week I'll be performing a wedding, so that's kind of cool. Um, so I won't be here. Uh, and uh, so I thought, this is great. Uh, religious conversation's over, so uh, I don't have to say anything more. But then he said, you know, while we're, you know, while we're on the topic of religion, he asked me, he said, you're a rational person. You seem, you're pretty smart. Uh, I, I forget exactly how he worded it, but kind of like, why do you believe what you believe? You know, kind of, if you're a smart person, why do you believe it? And I kind of panicked inside. I, I think I held it well and didn't panic on the outside. I hadn't really, I thought we were done with the religious conversation, so I wasn't really prepared at that point to say anything. I thought I probably should have some sort of, like, bullet, list of bullet points of what I should say in a situation like this. Like, I should, you know, have something worked out well. But I freaked out and instead decided, I'll just tell them what's true about me. I'll just tell them what's happened in my life. It's kind of like asking me, you know, What's going on with you? What's going on with you as to why you believe in Jesus? And 
I know I've heard lots of things throughout the years, but I kind of fell back on this, well, here's what I believe in when college, you know, this is what I believed. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure about things. And I started going into a bit of where I was at. And I thought later about it, I think actually it was probably a decent strategy because it was kind of a real conversation that way. And we talked about both our backgrounds and just various things. A lot of things we agree on, some things we disagree on. And uh, it was a very cool conversation. Very, like I said, Jimmy John's, lots of good things happen. Um, and so I fondly remember that Jimmy John's now. Um, but what was cool to me was thinking about it later, um, that when asked, I'm glad in that case, even though I think I flubbed a few things, I think I messed up a few, you know, theological points, I'm not entirely sure. I actually, I think I blocked out part of it. I don't really remember exactly what I said, but I do remember, like, being honest, and I do remember just kind of having a nice, I mean, you have to, I have to say, too, with Ross, that we've, he's my advisee, so it's kind of, we've had 400 conversations before we had this conversation, so it's not like, and we've had, you know, a few dozen since then, so it's kind of, it's one conversation out of many. Um, and, uh, I thought about Larry, it's kind of like, uh, I'm not selling a used car here. Like, I'm not, you know, someone asked me about my faith, or indirectly sometimes it comes up or whatever, and, and what am I trying to do? What am I trying to get out of it? And what I, this is why I'm excited about this point here. When, I'm, when it comes up, the starting point is really what happened. Like, what, what happened to me? What, what's going on? There, there's a word I'm, I'm not using that rhymes with angelism, and uh, I'm just trying to avoid that, because it has a lot of baggage with it. But that's kind of... The starting point for that for me, and this is this, you know, it's my opinion, um, is that it is reporting what we know to be true. I think when I start, when someone asks about what's going on, I report what I know to be true. I report. It's, it's not really about this is what you're supposed to believe. This is what, I'm, like, someone told me what I'm supposed to say in those situations. I don't think that works. Um, I think it's, it works if, if it's coming from me and it's not a bunch of supposed tos. This is also why I like linguistics. Uh, it's, it's kind of this. This idea of, of telling the truth and the truth sets you free. That's how I, I feel in those situations. It actually became less of a, the conversation was fun. It was less of a burden because I wasn't trying to think through what are the seven steps here. Like I need to uh, get Ross to sign a paper at the end of this conversation that he agrees to come to church with me or something. Like uh, that would be weird. Uh, um, so my point with this is I think the man born blind, this is a new experience for him. He hadn't had a lot of training in like seven steps to bringing your friends closer to God. And he just started talking about what happened. He just started talking about his experience. And he was real. Like, I, I like this idea of, of being real. It starts with reality. I mean, the Bible that we read every week is a very real book. It's actually quite messy, especially in like that middle part, uh, the Old Testament, where there's all these people dying and there's things happening I can't explain. It's a messy book, but it's a real book. It's, it kind of, it presents things as they happened. Um, that's the goal of it. And so my encouragement to you and to me is that when these things happen, when asked what happened, tell what happened. I think I have a next slide on this. I prepared these slides late last night, so I'm not entirely sure what I have on there, but be honest. Just tell what's happened to you instead, and go to the next point. Don't worry about what you should say. And th this idea of reality, it, I was thinking of an example. Um, uh, my grandpa died a couple years ago, and, and there are various reasons I couldn't go to the funeral, which is a whole story in itself, but I was talking to my dad about it later, and um, he said he was kind of disappointed in the funeral. So it was my dad's dad. And I mean, it's a funeral, you're going to be disappointed, right? Like, you have to kind of accept that. But he said what he was disappointed about was they kept saying things like, you know, Max was a great Christian guy. Max was really gentle. Max is my grandpa's name. Max was, uh, you know, he's just real sweet. Max was nice. And that's, 
all true, except I don't know who you're talking about. Like that's, that you can put it in any name except for Max. And that's what my dad was disappointed in, is it, it didn't seem real to him. It didn't seem like his dad. Like it was just some guy they were talking about. And he said he talked to his cousins later. And it's like, you know, they said my, my dad was gentle, but I remember him, you know, uh, really beating my butt when I got in trouble. And my, you know, he started going to telling these stories about things. And to me, what makes my grandpa a great man isn't that he was gentle. It's that hearing these stories where he overcame a temper he had to become gentle. And it's just like, it's, it's the reality. I remember, you know, going to a restaurant where he, there was a fly going around and he couldn't stand it. So he went and got a fly swatter and he swatted a fly off my brother's back. Like, that's a nice story to me. That tells me more about a person than it does to say he was nice, he was determined, uh, whatever. Like, it, it's that, the grounding in reality, I think, is where things start. Like, that's, what's, what's the experience? What's the reality? And then going from there. Like, I think about, uh, I've, I've read things, I've, I've seen things that talk about how, like, Christians should interact with non-Christians. And when I got into a situation, I thought, you know, what I need is how should Marcus interact with Ross? And there's 400 conversations that happened before this, so I need to figure that part out, and that's a much more personal thing. So that's, that's a different issue. So, and part of this, so I have up here is, um, uh, I think part of the problem is we're told to sell something sometimes that we may not be all that enthusiastic about. So it's kind of, I have to ask myself, you know, if I'm being real, like, what am I actually excited about? So kind of the question I have, it's kind of a central question. Uh, I think it's the next slide. It might even be, oh, it's kind of faint there, but are you buying what you're selling? So kind of, I don't like to use, use the word selling in this context, but I'm gonna use it anyway. Um, you know, if I'm telling someone something, I, I feel like I can only buy it if it's true. Like if I, if I know it, that's the only thing I can sell. It's not even selling at that point. It's selling sounds awful. But like if I were to come up here and, and preach a sermon on being worry-free, It'd be a terrible sermon because as much as I believe in it, as much as I think it's true and we should, you know, cast our cares upon the Lord and, and not worry, I don't do it. Like, I, I don't live it. I, I try, but, like, I fail at that. So, like, this idea of, of what's, what's exciting, what's true, like, am I buying what I'm selling? Am I, if I'm talking with someone about my faith, is it something that I'm actually enthusiastic about? I'm going to talk more about this in just a moment. I think the next point here... Um, the most important thing, if you're going to talk about faith, to me, and I see this with the man born blind, it's very obvious in his case, uh, is to live it, is to do it, to, to believe it, to know it. I, I use lots of verbs. I'm saying the same thing like 10 different ways, so I hope one of those phrases gets in there. Um, like, there, it's, it's this living the faith, you know, I, I've mentioned multiple times that I teach, and there are days where, like, my students look bored. And I walk out of that class, and I think, you know, I think I bored myself today. Like, it was just awful. Like, I mean, I, I see why they're bored. I understand their pain. Like, I was bored up there today. Uh, you can talk to the students here, here with me today, and they'll vou probably vouch for a couple days like that. Um, so um, the idea is that if we're living things, then talking about faith is, is the easy part. If we're, you know, uh, serving the poor, reading our Bible, being in community, loving our neighbors, speaking the truth in love, and having these conversations, the conversations are, are the, the kind of... Uh, they just flow freely at that point. If I'm living it, and that's what I'm talking about, if I'm talking about things I'm excited about, that's where things are. So the most important thing in talking about faith, in my opinion, is to live it. And that's what we see at the man born blind. But the question I have kind of um, moving on a bit is, is, why should we buy it? And um, I think we'll go to the next part of the passage here. So it's, we're living the faith, but what, what is that faith? So um, 
the, uh, this continues the story. So after he had been, the, the man born blind had been asked three times what happened to him. And he kept telling him that Jesus put mud in his eyes and then uh, he could see. So then Jesus heard they had thrown them in. And then at the end of it, you know, there's this interchange where they didn't like him anymore, so they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. It's kind of, the whole story really points to Jesus. I mean, and and the good news here. I mean, this is, like I said, there's a big point there that's in half a verse. He was able to see. There's good news here. Like, the blind receive sight. That's repeated a few times in the New Testament. Um, People are healed. People's lives are changed. And that's good news, right? Um, And so I think another key uh, here is, this passage points to Jesus, it points to the good news, and I think it's the next slide. Um, part of what helps in terms of buying what you're saying is, is believing it's the good news. And by the good news, I mean not the bad news. Like, uh, sometimes I hear things that are kind of more along the lines of bad news. Sometimes I give things, I, I say things that are more along the lines of, well, okay, I can't hang out tonight, I'm, I gotta go to church, or just things that are kind of strange, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not really excited about something. So. I think the key to talking about faith is, or one of the keys to talk, I think I already said the key to talking about faith. One of the keys is to, is to believe it's the good news. And it's not about inviting people to church or talking about church. It's about living the good news and sharing that experience. Is my life being changed? Am I less worrisome than I used to be? Are there things like this that are happening? And those are the things I can report about. Those are the things that are, are changing in my life. If that's what's happening, then it's easy to talk about it. I mean, I always say kind of the, the people who are best at talking about faith are the ones who just became believers because they're excited. Uh, and people who have been there a while tend to not be as excited, which I'm one of these lifetime people. So like, I have to remind myself sometimes that it's, that I have to, it's the good news. And um, it's kind of like, I uh, think about the example of Disney World, which I've never been to, but people, when they come back from it, the first thing I hear is rarely something like, well, Disney World was great. You start out in a parking lot, and in the parking lot, like, they take you on a trolley, and you have to keep your hands and ar- arms inside the vehicle at all times. And, like, they don't go through the rules. They don't go through the things, like, you're supposed to say these things. If it's the happiest place on Earth, it's because of things like uh, uh, Space Mountain, apparently, and Pirates of the Caribbean, and these sorts of things that there's excitement there. There are exciting things uh, allegedly there. I say allegedly because I did have someone when I was a kid who did uh, tout Disney World as the bad news, and he told me that he took his family there, and he served in Vietnam, and it was worse than Nam. And then he started talking about, he started talking about the line, lines you wait in, how you have to wait, you have to go in the trot. Like he did talk about it the way I presented it, but you rarely hear that. That's someone who believed it was bad news, not someone who believed it. In this case, of Disney World, it's good news. We have a better news than I think Disney World's good news. Uh, that people can give and receive love. We can give and receive forgiveness. We don't have to be bitter in our lives. We can be less worrisome. There, there are things that are good news. And those are the things that should be being impacted in our lives. That that's what we're excited to talk about. Stephanie and I went to, my wife's name is Stephanie. That's a different Stephanie than Stephanie doing the slides. Uh, I can tell that in my head. You may not be able to. Um, so Stephanie and I went to a church a number of years ago when we were in Ohio. And... Um, I think I mentioned it when I preached a few years ago. It's called the Crack House, which stands for Christ Resurrects After Crack Kills. And the guy who preaches there um, is a, uh, and it's in a fairly bad part of town. The guy who preaches there is is a former crack addict. And when you hear him preach, he sounds like a guy who's been healed from an addiction. Like he just, we heard him preach a one, like it was the shortest, the longest sermon I'd heard on the shortest amount of biblical text. So it was, 
while we were yet, while, while we were yet, while, I'm not sure if we got to the word sinners. He just kept saying it and he was so excited about this because he had lived it. He had been, while he was a sinner, he had been, he was still being considered by Jesus. He was still being saved while he was a sinner. There was something happening in his life. And he was excited about that. That was good news that I heard. And to me, that's, that's good news. People who are addicted can receive uh, freedom from those addictions. That's, that's something I'm, I'm in for. That's something I want to talk about. That's something I'm excited about. And that's the kind of good news that I want to, want to go for. The, the example of someone recovering from addiction, I mean, a lot of us don't face that. Um, I think about kind of uh, our... Are we all in this, this sort of idea of, um, yeah, do, do we believe it or not? Kind of, or do I believe it or not? It's a question I ask myself sometimes. If I'm talking about something, something do I believe what I'm saying? I'll give an example from, uh, of my mom. Um, so my mom, I would say, is a Christian who, who's all in. And the example I give is a few years ago, um, one of her friend's dogs was having surgery or had some problem, I'm not even sure. So my mom went home and um, got her dog, Pablo. I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story because it is someone I'm related to. But uh, she got her dog and she put his paws together and had Pablo pray for this other dog. <laughs> and I, I don't know the theology of dogs praying for dogs. Like, I, I really don't want to touch that issue today. I'm not really a dog person. Um, one thing I will give my mom credit for, though, she was all in. Uh, she was passionate about that. She believed it was good news and that, this could, that dogs could be healed. Um, yeah, I, that was embarrassing. That was painful for me, but fairly enjoyable for you. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's someone who believes it. And actually, and then people started asking her, like she had other friends, well, I heard Pablo was praying for whatever dog, and then can, can he pray for my dog? And it was, to me, crazy. But uh, it's one of those cases of Steph, should we like call up? the nursing home? I don't know. What are we supposed to do at this point? Like, you know, I was confused. But one of the things I, I appreciate about that and I appreciate about my mom is that she is, she's living the gospel of, of, she's living the good news and she's believing it and she's passionate about it. And so like, I know this, like people, I, I went to a funeral last week and I had this woman who lives three hours away from my mom come up to me and say, I really appreciate talking to your mom on the phone about my depression. And I was like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on. How do you know? Like, I see this in my mom's life being radiated out, so I know there's some good news happening. Even if I'm not sure about the theology of dogs praying for dogs, I still know something's happening there. So the idea is, if we're being honest, we're, being, we're saying what's the good news. If we're living, I said the most important part to talking about faith is to live it. I'd say it's to live the good news. Like, that's what we're living. It is the good news. That's what we're living in our faith. Okay, uh, the last, point, last main point I want to make, actually I don't have a slide for it right now. Um, it has to do with kind of the motivation for all of this. So if we're, if we're believing it um, and we're living it, uh, I've really focused kind of on ourselves at this point. So kind of like, you know, how am I with God? What's my faith like? But then, you know, if we're talking with other people, there is the other person there. Um, and one of the things uh, I encourage, would encourage you anything, is, is to let people make their own decisions. Actually, Stephanie, can we go back a little bit to um, the last part of the passage? from the first time, so a little further. Uh, last part was last to me in my head. Okay, there we go. So this part here. Um, the, the, uh, the man born blind, he gets a little more heated, or I'm not, I'm not sure what the tone is at the end here. They ask him about, you know, this fellow, are you this fellow's disciple? And he tells the Pharisees, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. He opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does this will. I get the sense he's kind of working things out for himself. Like I said, this is sort of new to him. He's kind of working it out. And one of the things I'm impressed by is that he's not telling the Pharisees what to believe necessarily. He's stating what he, he started with the facts of what he knows, and now he's, he's stepping up, he's working out the kind of conclusions there, but he's not coercing anyone. In fact, I mean, he's kind of powerless in this situation. It's hard for someone, I mean, he's kicked out at the end. He's not the one who's in power in this dynamic. Um, he's, he's not being coercive or manipulative or trying to manufacture a feeling for the people he's interacting with, as far as I can tell. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the keys of interacting with other people is they have certain feelings that you can't control. Like this is a good lesson to learn at some point in your life that you can't control another person. Um, and so when you're interacting with someone, when, we're, when I interact with someone, I have to remember, if I'm telling my side of things, that'd be great if they agree with me. But that may or may not happen. Uh, you know, Ross and I talked later that neither one of us had converted the other one to uh, their point of view. And, you know, I think it'd be great uh, if he believes in the way I believe, and if, you know, I think there's good news there, but that's not something I'm willing to lose a friendship over. Um, and I think, th- I'll give you an example. I, I rarely, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a, a lifetime churchgoer. Um, and uh, so rarely am I like uncomfortable walking in a church. Like it's a pretty comfortable situation for me. But for some reason, actually for many reasons that I could articulate at a later time, I'm not really thrilled with Christian bookstores or Christian stores or whatever. There, there's something I have. It, I said I'm going to have my biases today. You're free to like a Christian bookstore. You're free to go in one. That's fine. Personally, I don't have, I don't like being in them. So my wife and I went to the one uh, here in town and uh, months ago. And like I drag my feet in the door. I go in there. I don't, I, I think it's kind of probably what a lot of people feel like when they go to a church. I'm not entirely sure. I don't really want to be there, but we need to get a gift card for someone. So we're going to go there. And we get to the front, and uh, the clerk starts asking us about, uh, there's a World Vision child that you can support. Um, and we just donated money to World Vision, uh, but that wasn't part of the conversation. So she started telling us, well, would you consider supporting this person? And it was this real hard sell, and I did not like it. This is, maybe it's just me, but I did not like this hard sell. And then it was like, well, we're not going to support. Well, could you at least commit to praying for this child? I just want to get a gift card. Like, I came in here for a gift. Like, it was really frustrating. Like, I feel like I finally, I don't know, finally, I felt like what it's like to be coerced, to be kind of, uh, let's, I want a little more out of you. Like, I, I'll feel better. I don't know if there's a quota there. I have no idea. I think sometimes that's how I treat other people. Well, I have, you know, I need to be converting people or something, so I need to get cracking on this, and you happen to be next in line, so I'm going to pull a strong-arm technique. But it kind of, as I think about the conversation I have with Ross, it, it actually pains me to think about trying to coerce him. It's like, I like him. Why would I try to do that? Like, uh, it just, it's uncomfortable. We, yeah, we wouldn't be able to talk about music the way we normally talk about it or whatever. Like, it's just sort of, we have a, a relationship there. It doesn't, coercion doesn't gel with that relationship. So I, I skipped over a pa- the, the very beginning of the passage earlier to bring it back to the man born blind. So now, Stephanie, go to the passage that's verses two through five, I think. Uh, other way. This is, uh, I said I made these slides late last night. I also gave the wrong format for the overhead projector. So this is, uh, anyway. Okay, um, also like when you have a conversation with someone, things don't have to go perfectly right. They can just kind of let things flow, at least I hope. Uh, So this was at the beginning when they saw the man born blind and the disciples of Jesus asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
And then Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's the light of the world that this passage is about Jesus. But what's interesting here is that uh, the disciples want to have one conversation and then Jesus turns it into a different conversation. They want, and let me read a passage from a book called Messy Spirituality by, next slide, thank Matt Polly for introducing me to this book by Mike Iaconelli. Um, so this says, talking about that particular passage we just read where the disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents? Uh, Mike Iaconelli says, they, the, dis- the disciples, are not concerned about the blind man, they're concerned about the theology of blindness. The disciples have p- attempt to have a theological discussion and Jesus cuts it short. He makes it very clear that what matters is glorifying God, helping blind men and women see. The disciples are worried about theories and doctrines. Jesus is worried about the blind man. And that's a big difference to me. Not that theories and doctrines are not important. They are important. Um, but it starts when I'm talking with someone, am I concerned about that person? Am I concerned about what's the theology? Ross and I talk about the problem of evil. And I am concerned about the, you know, the problem of evil in the world. But I don't think that's the, the thing. Like I need to be, make sure that I have a PhD in how do we handle the problem of evil. I think the concern starts with, am I concerned about this person I'm talking to? Um, uh, So, again, this is my opinion. I I think a real hot tip is that if you're talking with someone, I always have strange expressions, I'd say just love the crap out of them. Like, if you want to know how to, like, talk to someone about faith and feel good about it and not worry about it later, like, you know, don't feel guilty about it, just, just love them. Like, it's a simple thing. Just be concerned about them more than about yourself or more than about, like, winning points or something. It's not about, faith is not about winning uh, points for anything. Um, um, the point I want to make is, it's, I said this before, it's personal. It, there's, you know, the old phrase of people don't care what you think until they think that you care. Um, and it's, it's true. Like, it's cliched, but it's also true in this case. Like, I don't care what you believe if I think you don't care about me. Uh, and that's, that has happened to me with people, it's happening with people of various faiths, including Christianity, where they come talk to me on campus or wherever, out of the blue, and if I think they're just trying to win something, I feel like I'm done with them. Like, that's personally how I respond when there's kind of a hard sell. I just, I want out of there. And the quickest, the thing I'm thinking is, how quickly do I get out of this conversation? That's different than I care about you, and we're actually having a fun conversation. Other things come up, faith comes up, but whatever. It's, that's a different type of conversation that I'm talking about. And that's why I see, when I see with the man born blind, it all starts, let's go to the next slide, Stephanie. It's about living the good news in a context of other people. Um, so this, I didn't give you three points of the sermon, but there really were three points, so you can go home and feel good about that. Li- you're, we're living, we're, it's real, it's honest, like we're living things out. That's what we saw with the man born blind. He just reported what happened. It was a real thing to him. It was something he was living. And he was living the good news. He had been healed, right? This was fantastic. Um, and then, and that's the kind of things of, of, is it good news? Is it bad news? Like, what is it that we're talking with other people about? And it is with other people. Um, and so having a concern, um, in, uh, various parts of the Bible, Philippians, it talks about kind of caring more for others than about yourself. That's the kind of conversations I'm interested, I, I think I'm supposed to be having, uh, with other people is, do I care about other people? And you know, when I actually do care about other people, I care about the conversations. I care about where they're at. I love it. It's just, I, and I feel less guilty about anything. Like, I'm not, I'm not worrying about what am I supposed to do. It's more just about, oh, I can just be free to be who God has made me. And I can be free to kind of develop more with God. So 
my sermons, uh, in some respects, whenever I've preached here, it, it always comes down to two points. It's kind of repetitive. It's kind of like I mentioned that this passage is about Jesus. We had a, a pastor in Ohio who every time he preached, it was always about Jesus. Whatever, like he would preach about something, you think he's talking about something in the Old Testament that came back to Jesus. It's kind of repetitive in a sense, um, but uh, kind of important too. And um, they're, they're really, my sermons always come down to two points. You know, how are you with God and how are you with other people? It's kind of matching the two greatest commandments, you know, love the Lord your God as yourself and love your neighbor. Uh, those are the two greatest commandments. How are you with loving God? You know, are you living the good news? And how are you with loving other people when you're talking about living the good news? It's, I wouldn't, one thing I want to encourage us is that we don't need to be worried about how do I, what am I supposed to say to other people? I, never, I didn't give you a single tip in this thing that rhymes with angelism. I didn't give you a single tip about what you're actually supposed to say. I don't know, because I don't have a handbook for who you are and who your friends are. That's a different type of thing, who your coworkers are, who your neighbors are, who your family, I mean, family conversations. That's something I'm not willing to navigate for 200 people. Uh, so I didn't give you any practical tips like that. It's, it's about living it, and then things flow from there. There actually are practical tips. I've also just run out of time, but um, it's about living uh, the good news with other people. Uh, let me just say a quick prayer for us. Uh, God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the lesson of the man who was born blind and talked about it, um, and talked about it in a way that was appreciated um, by Jesus. And uh, I pray that we would learn to live that. Christ's name, amen. Um, we close with communion. Um, we don't close. After the sermon, we have communion every week, and then we'll close with some singing after that. And um, communion is, one thing I appreciate about communion here is that it's open to anyone. So kind of, if you just want to take one step closer to Jesus, that's pretty much all we're asking. It's sort of a low bar in that sense, but an important bar um, in that we're just whoever. Um, I like that. So communion is sort of um, chaotic, I guess. So people will be up here in the middle on the two sides, and then if you want to come forward, you can, uh, you'll tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, and then you can eat it there. You can eat it back at your seat. There's no communal. We're all going to have, take a bite of the bread now, just whenever you feel appropriate. And we'll be singing during that time. And while that's going on, there's a prayer room over there. If you want prayer for anything, you can go over there. They prayed the prayer team prayed for me beforehand and I felt better about myself than I had. In a, it was amazing. They were great prayers. So that's, I'm not selling it. I'm just saying uh, it worked well for me. So um, there, I went back there a couple weeks ago for something else too. And uh, if, if, if there's something you need prayer for, you should consider going to the prayer room at some point. And no one's really watching who's going wherever. Um, okay, let me say a prayer for the communion and then uh, we'll start doing that. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for the uh, gift of you dying on the cross and being resurrected. And we thank you for this time in which we remember that and remember what you can do for us. Pray this in your name. Amen.